This is a recording made in the chapter of the open book and is number three of the series entitled Ye See Your Calling. It is our custom at this meeting to read a portion of scripture and we are reading together the first chapter of the epistle to the Galatians. Now we have been <coughs> reading together, as we suggested, <coughs> this first chapter of Paul's epistle to the Galatians and so far as my estimate is concerned, the first letter he ever wrote as an apostle. Uh, you need not take that for gospel truth because that's a matter of deduction. But so far as I'm concerned, I feel there's sufficient evidence to believe that this is where Paul entered the arena, and it sounds like it, doesn't it? There's no other epistle that starts like this. When we come to the parallel epistle, the epistle to the Romans, which is dealing with the same subject of justification by faith, the ground is a bit more settled, the atmosphere is more kindly. He says, Paul, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. You see, he's saying the same things, but he's saying it now as though he hasn't got a fight for a hearing. Did you notice in reading this chapter, he says, I lie not. Did you notice that toward the end? Well, you'll find that when he's standing uh, witnessing to the fact that he was called to be an apostle, he says it again in 1 Timothy. He said, I have been called, I have been separated, I have been set apart to be a teacher and an apostle of the Gentiles before God I lie not. Why should a man want to take an oath? Why? Because it was so challenged. Everybody was so obsessed with the idea that Peter and those with him were the only apostles that mattered. He had to say, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle, I persecuted the church of God, I'm an earthen vessel. He says, and, oh yes, but nevertheless, he said, I magnify mine office. You see, it's a different thing from magnifying yourself. To magnify yourself in the sight of God is absolutely contrary to our calling. For there's no flesh shall glory in his presence. We've already seen that. But it's a, it's a little bit of mock modesty to be conscious that God has given you a work to do and then shuffle your feet on the mat and say, oh, I'm not worthy. Well, we know you're not worthy, so don't advertise it. Get on with the work. I think we ought to gather that from this man's entering into the arena. And you will notice that the chapter hinges upon three little words. They are small words in the original. They're not very long in, in the English. And although our subject is calling, I want to make this part of it rather obvious. So if you know all about Galatians 1, sit back while I tell somebody else. You'll notice that he says, in the first verse, Paul an apostle, not, neither, but. Now that's very, very decisive, isn't it? He's an apostle, not of men. Neither by man. He puts the men and the men twice in the negative. Then he says, but. That's of God, you see. Well then presently, he practically says to you and to me, well, an apostle is only a figure of speech if he hasn't got a message, because the apostle is a sent one, and the sent one is a messenger. So he says, in verse 11, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not, neither, but. Oh, somebody says, please, there's two neithers. Well, that's a bit thrown in for extra. Not, neither, and but is what he's using again. So now we say, he was an independently chosen apostle, not one of the twelve. He received his gospel independent of all men. It, it says that um, in the next case, verse 
15. When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. What happened then? Well, he said, I didn't go up to Jerusalem to get the hands of Peter and James and any others laid upon my head. I turned me back on Jerusalem and I went into Arabia. So it says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen or Gentiles, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I to Jerusalem, but I went into Arabia. So he was an independent apostle, independently received gospel, and an independent commission. Now this is the man that God set apart for you and me. The only man in the New Testament who is called the Apostle of the Gentiles. Surely it's common sense, not merely spiritual recognition. It's common sense that if you are a Gentile, and God has set apart a Gentile, uh, set apart an Apostle of the Gentiles, that he should be given a hearing at least. Well, you come back for a moment in this first chapter of Galatians, and you notice that he says, after the introduction, verse 6, the very first thing he mentions is this. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you. Now, of course, you might think that refers to Christ who called them, and I suppose in the ultimate sense it would be so. But he is referring to the fact that he was the instrument who went into Galatia, and they were the very from his lips they first heard the gospel of grace. And he marvels what's happened to them. So, you see, there is that call which comes from the minister which the Lord appointed for them. And then he refers to his own calling, as you remember. And that was the consequence of a, a previous separation. The calling is always a call to God or to call from some other circumstance, as the church itself is an ecclesia, as you know. Well, that's enough to... Um, comment, I think, upon the chapter we read. I thought I ought to just pass it by as a conventional reading, but you see, it's a very great challenge and stresses the fact. If we'd gone into chapter 2, we should have found that the Peter, James and John had to recognise that just as surely as Peter, James and John had the apostleship of the circumcision and the gospel to the uh, Jew, so Paul and Barnabas, they had the ministry, the apostleship and the gospel to the Gentiles. But our subject is particularly to let as far as possible light in upon this one word, calling. You see your calling. Well, I ask the question, you see, each time. Because if only we can stimulate God's people, if they don't see their calling, to look into the word of God and find out, then our walk will be very much more consistent and our testimony will not be so mixed so that people don't know whether they belong to heaven or earth New Jerusalem, whether they're God's Israel or what not, you see. If you see your calling, it's so very important. And if you have no real conception of your calling, you'll have no real conception of what your hope is, for they're linked together. The hope of your calling. And hope is an anchor. So you'll be one of those Christians that have got no anchor, you're floating about with a current. So that you see, it's very, very important, not merely from a doctrinal sense, but from the fact that our witness is influenced by this fact, that we, if we are sure of our calling, we then can be more sure with regard to the testimony we give, so that we, could, we wouldn't like to say like the Apostle Paul, 
Though an angel in heaven should preach any other gospel than they preach at the pulpit of the open book, let him be anathema. We don't get as far as that. But we can get to the point that we do say we know what the gospel of the grace of God is because we have received this calling and our eyes have been opened by his grace. Well now, this evening we'll just look at some of the ways in which this word calling enters in, or the word that gives us the word calling enters into the teaching of scripture. The Greek verb, kadio, obviously lies behind our word call. Of course, there's no letter C in the Greek alphabet. The letter K is used here. We, in, in, we brought the C in afterwards. Not English people didn't, but they did. And so we get the peculiar thing that a child has to learn. C-A-T spells sat. Oh no, it spells cat. And then, of course, when you, when you find some pedants who won't say margarine, they must say margarine, well then I ought to find the kenter of a kirkle and go out on a kirkle, you see. No, 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 no. You can't do that, friends. Don't do it. We speak English, and that's our pronunciation, and that's legitimate. But it's good to know that behind our word call, C-A-L-L, is the Greek word K-A-L. You see, there it is. And the word kalio, because of many Greek words, verbs, end in the long O, it's a sign that it's the infinitive, kalio, and then we generally put against it, I call. I call. Well, now let's get some of these just so that you should be sure of the way which is introduced into the scriptures and the, the one that we didn't even turn to the passage, Matthew, the first chapter, these names should be called. But I think that's we will in case there's something there that in the context that is asking for a word. Matthew, the first chapter. The very first occurrence of this word, you see, has to do with a name. And the name in the scripture has a meaning. That's 1.21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And then it says four. For he shall save his people from their sins. So you see, the calling of the name was because that was what he was going to do. And the very first naming of anything, of anyone in the Bible, was given by Adam. God brought before him those beasts of the field and the fowls of the air that were under his dominion, and whatsoever name he called them, that was the name thereof. So you see, a calling is connected with a name very many times in Scripture, and the name has a meaning. Of course, again, we are living in modern times, and names do not have the same meaning. I know I played about with the names of our trustees at one meeting, very wrong of me, I know. When our brother Mr. Dive was living, I said we had Canning and Foster to look after the preserving, Canning and Foster, and we had Dive and Dredge to go down to the bottom and see the foundations were safe. You see? And now we've got Reader who's looking after the library. That's only playing with names, isn't it? But in the Bible it's like that, definitely like that, you see. So when Paul wrote to Timothy and said, there are some vessels unto honour, Timothy, and there are some without honour, he was playing on the name Timothy. Timothy means one who honours God, or whom God honours. Oh yes, that wouldn't have missed young Timothy when he read that when Paul was speaking to him, because I'm positive Paul had said it to him many a time otherwise. So here we have the idea, then in the next verse, but um, 1, verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall we be child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, why? 
Oh, it's not because it was a family name or they like the sound of it. For, being interpreted, it is God with us. So there you have, in this opening chapter, his name Jesus. He was called that in our meaning. And it fulfilled a prophecy, Emmanuel, and that meant God with us. I think that's fairly obvious. If you look at chapter 22, verse 9, while we have Matthew in front of us, so that we can get another instance of this Calio to call. 22.9 This is the marriage supper that was arranged by God for his son, the king in the parable. And it has a great bearing, this parable, upon the development of the purpose of God as the time goes on. Because you have here the, the parable that says the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. And in the east, far more than here, it would be an awful affront if the king's son had a very sparsely attended wedding. You can feel that, can't you? And they sent, he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden. And I think the original reads, to call them that had been bidden or had been called. It, this wasn't the first time that they had a consciousness that they were a separated people with a blessing in front of them. They were now being reminded that they were a call people and here was a part of the invitation. And what was the consequence? They would not come. And our Saviour came, heralded by John the Baptist, preaching repentance for the kingdom of heaven was at hand and they would not repent. Alright, what did he do? Our Saviour prayed for them and to the very self-same people that had rejected him, they remained at Jerusalem and bore a second witness. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, or have been bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage, but they made light of it. And I think my memory serves me right. That's the very word that we have in Hebrews about neglecting so great salvation. That's what they did. And it goes on to say, they entreated them spitefully. The very word spitefully is used in the Acts of the Apostles of the way they treated the messengers that came with it and slew them. And when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and he destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. And that took place literally in AD 70. And what was going to happen now to the guests that were to be invited to the marriage of the lamb, the king's son? Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways. And of course nearly everybody says highways and byways. Well, you can put those in if you like, they're not there. And as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. And so it says, here we have bid to the marriage, call to the marriage. Here's a call that is not to salvation, but to an honour. And later on, in the uh, Revelation, it says, blessed are they who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. These are not the bride. The bride is a very different company altogether, the overcomers in the book of the Revelation. But a great number of believers will not be the bride of the Lamb, and they will not be members of the body of Christ, but they will be the guests at the wedding. And that's an honour. And John's Gospel comes in after AD 70, when the city was destroyed, with an uh, opening up of truth, not to the original ones who were invited, but to whosoever will 
And it's the only gospel of the four that says John the Baptist was the friend of the bridegroom. The only gospel. And it's the only gospel that starts off by a miracle that was performed at a wedding. So you see, there are some indications that John's gospel fits in this. Well, we mustn't go on like that because that is only just an attempt to use. Now, Acts 15.37, and I think that's enough for the ordinary, everyday use of the word call. Acts 15.37. Oh, this is only just the, uh, the fact that he's given his surname. And Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark. He was called, that was the name he was called, his surname was Mark. Uh, you need not bother about that one, but just another one thrown in, as it were, to emphasise this fact. Well, now we move from Calio to the word Kletos. And here we have another way in which this word call comes into use. And I turn at once to the passage I've already quoted uh, from uh, memory, Romans, the first chapter and the first verse. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called now, our version has got in, in italics, to be. Well, he was called to be an apostle. Well, he didn't say that. He simply said, called apostle. A called apostle. That was his calling. So you need not necessarily read the words to be. And further down, he uses the same expression when he said that those to whom he addressed in verse 7 were called to be saints. No, they were called saints. That was their calling. So we have this word kletos, which is the way in which this word is expanded now and used. And so we find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where we get a faintest difference. I think we'll just look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle, called an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes our brother unto the church of God which is in Corinth to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called saints <coughs> with all that in every place called upon the name of, our, of Jesus Christ our Lord both theirs and ours you can't help but see that he's stressing this word are you called of God? well one of the things will, which will manifest that it is true is you will call on him I don't mean in a polite call like visitors that knock at the door and say, how are you? We've got something more wonderful than that. God has called us and he's called us out and he's called us to himself and one of the very earliest expressions of our calling is that we call upon him. And that is, of course, the basic thought in prayer. Now, in Revelation 17:14, one other reference, I'm keeping to these that I've ticked off here because of the folks presently you who will be using this tape recording in Revelation 17 verse 14 these shall make war with the Lamb and the Lamb shall overcome them for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful so there's a company that are associated with the Lamb of God who is nevertheless King of kings and Lord of lords and they are called and chosen and faithful. 
There's one strange use, it, it hardly matters, but I think I'll give it to you. In 1 Peter 2, 20, he says, For what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, that is acceptable with God. Well, where does the word call come in that verse? Well, it comes in a rather curious way. It's the word, what glory? And it goes back into a history that I cannot explain except to tell you that this was the term used for writing little verses in praise of the heroes that came back from the war. Not exactly like the Calypso of the Jamaican, you know, they tick all things when something happens, but that's the idea. Now, how the word call comes into that is beyond my ability to explain because it goes back into antiquity. But I thought that I would throw it in in case anyone should come across it. But now, we are coming to one that is more intimately connected with ourselves. I'm only showing you how this word ramifies through the scriptures by so doing and here we have the word klesis. Klesis. K-L-E, a long E-S-I-S. As you see, all the way down, this word is kaleo, klesos, klesos, klesos. You've got that bit all the way through. K-L. Now, Romans the 11th chapter, verse 29, gives us this emphasis on the word calling, which we've already had before us, but I think we'll have it again. Romans 11, 29, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance or without a change of mind. <clears throat> Isn't that something that we do well to emphasise? I've already touched upon that in our first study or in our second study, I don't know which. I've got a wonderful memory, friends. But I know I touched upon it. But surely it's worth, worth repeating, isn't it? That if you are called of God, that is without a change of mind on the part of God. And it raises the question, but supposing you don't quite live up to it, so, but, ah, well, look what he says. Verse 28, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Now, that has nothing to do with you, this is dealing with Israel, but it's telling you in a general sense that's true of all the callings of God. That even though Israel failed so desperately, it didn't alter the fact that they were beloved because of the fathers. For the gifts and calling of God are based upon that choice and nothing in heaven or earth can alter it. Shall we look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, because we must give our own calling a place in this study. Ephesians 1 verse 18. Here you remember the Apostle has opened this great question of the dispensation of the mystery and then after having given us a packet of truth that's overwhelming in its fullness he practically says well now I can't tell you anymore. It's no good me telling you anymore unless something is done with it. Now that's true friends. So let's see how he approaches. He's already told us we are chosen before the foundation of the world. We are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He's told us all that. Now he says, um, 
Verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and while this is not our study and subject, this is a very peculiar expression here, if you're looking at the original. It's not the ordinary way of saying your faith in the Lord Jesus. To put it literally, it doesn't seem to make sense. The faith according to you in the Lord Jesus. And yet it's a challenging thought, isn't it? The faith according to somebody else, you see. That particular faith which you have now exercised in this glorious calling, I'm now making the basis of my prayer. All right, we'll go on. And the love you have unto all the saints. Would you say, they're the wonderful people if they've got faith like that and love like that. But he says, there's a bit missing. What's missing, friends? You can supply it, can't you? He's already told us in Corinthians, now abide faith, hope, love, these three. He says, you've got two. You've got faith and you've got love. I want to be sure about the hope. So he puts it this way. He says, I, I, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you a wise and revealing spirit, not merely in the knowledge of him to know something about him, but for the acknowledgement of him, having got a, a revelation given you, this is where the challenge is coming. It's one thing to read those opening verses of Ephesians. It's another thing to acknowledge the truth of them and stand for it, whatever may happen. He says, that's what I'm praying now. That you may have a wise and revealing spirit in the acknowledgement of him. Have you ever wondered why you don't always see truth? Here's a little suggestion. You acknowledge what you have seen and your eyes will open a bit more. Then shall ye know if you go on to know the Lord. You see? So, if there's any puzzle you have in the word of God, don't blame me, I dare say I'm responsible partly, but blame yourself. Say, perhaps there's some truth that I've received, but I've never acknowledged. Well, you see to that, and the eyes of your understanding will perhaps be illuminated in a way that no other way can give it. Or we'll go on again then. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope. See, we've got to that. Now, he, he says, the hope of his calling. When he refers to this hope again, he puts it the other way round. Ephesians 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation, that's the word calling, wherewith ye are called, with all loneliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, he doesn't give any explanation about that, and one spirit, he doesn't give any explanation about that. But he does of the next. Even as you're called in one hope of your calling. He doesn't stop. He doesn't say even as you're called and leave it. He says, I want you to see that your calling is, a, is a intimately associated with the hope in front of you. And the hope in front of you is intimately associated with your calling. And both are connected with how far are you acknowledging this? You see, this is acknowledgement, isn't it? Walking worthy of it. So it's no good buttonholing me and saying, now tell me just exactly, just exactly all the things that are going to make up my hope. I said, if I was inside your skin and knew just what you knew, I should be able to tell you. I can't tell you. And if there are some things which are dim to you, it may be it's to drive you back to the word of God and to your knees so that you may realize that these things can be revealed 
in this way. It's a challenge to us. So we've got the hope of the calling and walking worthy of the calling. If we'll look once more at Philippians 3.14, we'll get another aspect. Here we have that very extraordinary passage, verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto, which by the very fact it's used in the Acts of the Apostles just before a shipwreck, shows you that it meant that it might come to grief, if by any means I might attain unto, not the resurrection of the dead, oh no, that was not troubling the Apostles, but the ectanostasis, ectonecron, the out-resurrection, out from among the dead. And then he goes on to say, brethren, verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, according to a mark I press for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So you see, the difference between the point of view of Ephesians and Philippians is this. Ephesians tells you what is the hope of your calling. And Philippians says, and added to that, is the prize of that calling. Now the hope of the calling doesn't depend upon you, your efforts, or your walk. But the prize is if you, as he, as he puts it writing to Timothy, no man is crowned except he strive lawfully. So don't mix up the prize with the hope. But those two are associated with the calling. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. Here's another very, very full reference to the calling. Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which have given us in Christ Jesus before the world began or before times of ages. Look at the pattern there. A holy calling, not according to works, according to his own purpose and grace, given us in Christ Jesus before times of ages, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and shed light on life and immortality through the gospel whereunto I am appointed, here it comes, a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. So how intimately it's all linked together, isn't it? The commission of this man and the distinctive teaching and the need for us to remember that this calling is a holy calling and consequently whenever we are thinking about our entering into it, it's to be without blemish and without spot and that's what we cannot do for ourselves. Now, Hebrews chapter 3 should be given a hearing because there again you've got another company addressed. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Again, he's linked with an apostle. All but this time, look what the apostle is, the Christ himself. And you see, if you once realize that this epistle to the Hebrews is addressed to holy brethren, it's not teaching them the way of salvation, but asking them whether they're producing those things that accompany salvation. And when they are warned that if they don't go on unto perfection, 
they may draw back unto perdition, it doesn't mean that they're going to be everlastingly damned. It means to say that they may fail to reach the high standard that they should do if only they would take God at his word. But we're not dealing with Hebrews. We're only just drawing attention to the way in which this word calling comes. Well now, there's another uh, word that I must get time to, to ask you to consider, and you'll know it the moment I say it, the parakletos. We know that the Holy Spirit is sometimes called the paraclete, and it has another form, the paraclesis. So we'll get those two, shall we, without spending too much time, otherwise I shall find I've run out before we get to the finish. John fourteen twenty six. Just to give you the chapter and verse, you'll know that I'm going to speak about this paracletos. John fourteen twenty six. This occurs in that part of John's Gospel which is devoted to the twelve or the eleven that were there, getting them ready for the witness. And it says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. Now, Comforter is a good word if we understand its composition. C-O-M is the word con, com, uh, really the word syn in the Greek. It means together with. F-O-R-T, what does that mean? Strength. Don't think of the word comfort as the word consolation. This is not patting a baby off to sleep. This is invigorating and giving all the needed strength to stand against Nero and the Pharisees and the Jews and all the lot. You want something more than mere consolation. You've got it here. This is encouragement. Putting courage into you. And that's the parakletos. Now, how has the word come into being? Para means alongside. Kletos means call. And I think there's this thought in the word. That it doesn't mean that the Spirit of God never lets you try to do anything yourself. You know, some people are so watchful over their youngster that the poor child never gets a chance to fall down bump. It's, but that's how it learns to walk and that's how it learns its way about. He's there always at call. But he'll let you try. But he'll never let you down. So, at any time when you're up against circumstances that begin to overwhelm, para, kletos, he's there to call to your side. It's a, it's a comforting thought in another sense, isn't it? And so we have him called the comforter or the encourager. Now we have another word, encario. Only this time it has to be spelled with a G. You instead of say E-N-G, cario, they say N-cario. I can't explain the reason for that. Romans 8.33. Romans 8.33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. And if you look down... Uh, quickly from that passage to Colossians 1.22 where you have an encleton, see the same word extended a bit, it'll give me a chance to give you the meaning of the two passages at once. Colossians 1.22 In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Now, the word unblameable is without blemish, the word used of a sacrifice in the Old Testament. And the word unreprovable 
is this word, anencliton, or anencleo, meaning there's no possibility of calling you in question. It's a term of a law court. And you'll find in the Acts of the Apostles, when the city clerk said to them, we are liable to be called in question for what's happened to this day, he's using that word. So you see, we have a holy calling that fits us with the temple of God, and we have a calling that clears us of all possibility of condemnation so that none can call us in question. All what a lot hangs upon these callings, aren't there? And then we have the one that, oh, there's, there's two more. I think I can get that in. Acts 22.16. Acts 22.16. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That is the word epitalio, call upon. Of course, this is a problematic passage. You're distinctly told that the man who told him that was Ananias, verse 12, a devout man, according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews. And when they told the Apostle Paul to be baptized and wash away his sins, well, I think Paul said, yes, all right. I'll be baptized, but they don't wash away my sins. There's no such thing in the teaching of the apostle that baptism ever washed away sins. This is only what Ananias told him to do. So we'll leave that for the time being until we take up such a passage as that more in detail. And the final reference is one that I suppose you've anticipated all the time, and that is Ephesians 1.22, a word that comes over and over again in the scriptures. Nevertheless, we, we want to put it into its right context. Ephesians 1.22 and put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body, the church. Ecclesia. Hear it? Ecclesia. A called out company. Now Stephen says that the people of Israel who wandered in the wilderness were the church of God in the wilderness. The church in the wilderness. And if our authorised version had only just sort of Go in another direction, you'd have found the word church all over the Old Testament. Oh, it comes over and over and over again, the assembly. Now, called out, see, when God said to Abraham, your children are going to form a called out nation, they were a church. So that there's any amount of companies in the scriptures which are a church. So that you don't really say you belong to the church, you want to make up your mind which church. We say a church began at Pentecost, but the church of the one body didn't. They came into existence later. Well, I've just done the best I can with words. And there's not very much comfort and edification in words only. But unless we've got the words that God has spoken, with some measure of understanding, we can't get the good out of the word, which is infinitely better. But we've got a few more studies in this great question, ye see your calling, and what we fail to do on one occasion we hope to make up as another. So may God give us grace each time we listen to this little study and we put, the, put to ourselves the question you see your calling or may it bring from your heart that response that the Lord expects that you will call upon him. And you know the Old Testament way of giving thanks to the Lord is I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. There it is. So we'll end on that note.